From South Bend, Indiana, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. So um, I think the best case was we made a, uh, like a, a bolt rolling die, essentially, that was 3D printed. Uh, we could 3D print it. We could um, surface enhance it and ship it to them with no, uh, you know, no machining, no, no, nothing after that sense. And I think it even outperformed a lot of their old dies and got some better tool life out of it. So um, those type of use cases was what we searched for, but it always took quite a long time in order to get to that final state. So That's Faith Orlicking. She works in manufacturing programs for Beehive Industries. Her experience has been working in the aviation and additive manufacturing industry with a focus on laser powder bed fusion. She has a Bachelor of Science degree focused on metallurgical and materials engineering from Colorado School of Mines. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or your team are looking for materials, qualification, or general added manufacturing support, reach out to us through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. All right, Faith, thank you so much for joining the show today. Excited for the conversation. Um, I like to start kind of all these episodes off like very kind of early days. So um, what sure. were some of the, like, where were you born? Um, where, what kind of got you on the path towards additive manufacturing? Sure. Yeah. So thanks Mike for having me. Um, I grew up in the Chicago area, uh, born to two engineers. So kind of definitely in my blood and was probably, you know, the most support I got was in the kind of the STEM sciences at home. And so engineering was kind of always my path. I think ma majority of my family, 90% went to University of Illinois for engineering. And it's just kind of, uh, kind of written in stone. But I will say I was the one black sheep uh, that did not go to University of Illinois and went to Colorado School of Mines instead. And uh, that's mainly because fell in love with the mountains, fell in love with outdoor activities, and the fact that they had a very uh, world-renowned, like, metallurgical and materials engineering degree. Um, when I was younger, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, but understanding, like, once I was in high school, understanding that it was a mixture of chemistry and physics and the fact that you could actually physically see the product of, you know, what you're changing at the microscopic level. Um, material science was like a huge passion of mine towards the end of school. And I was looking for, um, you know, colleges that that had that. So Colorado School of Mines, it was. Um, your, were your parents uh, metallurgists or kind of mechanical engineers? Kept, kept no, yeah. My dad was a mechanical engineer. Um, my mom was an industrial engineer. So material science. My dad was aware of, but, you know, it was always kind of the side thing that he had to deal with uh, more so than uh, what he was talking about. But, you know, for me, I think um, the chemistry aspect of it is what kind of got me in um, at first. And um, I think the fact that, you know, changing something that might not be useful into something that could be useful, like for sustainability reasons, was really what uh, kind of got me in there at first. Do you remember um, them helping you on like, like what, what was it about? Like, was it being around them all the time, hearing them talk about it? Like what, what, like in those, 
like yeah. when you were younger in high school, middle school, like with it, like a memory that stuck out in terms of kind of that motivation? Definitely. I think um, one of my core memories was, um, I don't know, young, eight, nine, ten. And the way that my dad wanted to bond was doing a, a science experiment. And uh, he loves his coffee and he has about mm, maybe 20 different types of coffee cups uh, in our cupboard. And he's like, you know what? It's Saturday. It's rainy. Let's have fun and decide which of my coffee cups can hold heat the longest and graph it out essentially <laughs> and so we would do like little things like that like just little experiments around the home I know like we talked about like bikes a lot um uh he worked on cars quite often so I'd be there in the garage with him but like anything like um finding out the temperature of his coffee cups or like you know science homework he would help me out and sit me down uh whereas anything writing anything uh, more on the creative side was kind of left to my own devices so um but that coffee cup one I think he still has the one that helped heat the longest uh still in that cupboard right now so <laughs> there's definitely uh some good results to that that one and so did when you went to mines did you know that you wanted to do materials engineering or was it metals like what like how, like that's kind of a niche I mean I'm a materials engineer, but I didn't really know yeah. about it in high school. Um, yeah. But like, where, where did you kind of find that interest? And Yeah. So University of Illinois actually has this great program. It's called the Engineering Open House. And at the time I had a cousin there. And it's basically just a big science fair with a lot of booze and whatnot, where each en engineering discipline um, had like little science fair booths of things you could touch, things you could see, all the experiments that they ran. And um, I walked around and saw all of each, but the material science ones I, I thought was the coolest. It was like they had the the gloop, you know, the one that I forget where it's what it's actually called, but it's like the cornstarch with glue that you know becomes hard uh, once you put pressure on it, but it's kind of viscous when it's in other states. Um, there was one uh, board where it's like they turned corn husk waste. And they turned it into particle board and things, things of that nature. So it just for me, it was the most like visually, um, like engaging uh, type of discipline for me. And uh, everyone seemed to be having a good time. I don't know. Um, the vibes are good. So us materials think, engineers are cool, cool cats, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I did declare uh, like materials engineering as the discipline going into um, like as a freshman. And I think I'm pretty lucky in the sense that um, I still love it to this day and I still use it. And, um, you know, I think I was one of few who actually knew what I wanted going to school for that major and, uh, you know, still use it every day. And did you have to, I mean, material science is pretty broad. Did you know you wanted to do metallurgy or were you interested in biomaterials or biomedical whatever kind of sub-discipline that you can yeah do. yeah I think uh, going into college I didn't have like any specific material uh, that I was interested I don't think metals was tough to be honest with you I think it was more so on the ceramic side of things or maybe like um, more of the organic type of materials um, and then even in school we focus mainly on steel and I got kind of steel overload. 
I would say in college because I mean that's just you know the the, the most foundations of a lot of metallurgy is from from that feel and a lot of where Colorado School of Mines funding is coming from. So um, lots of steel. Um, I actually thought in college that ceramics was the way to go, um, but had kind of a little bit of a focus in that sense. Um, but after after school and through internships, metals was kind of the most accessible and the most I knew about and like kind of had the biggest foundation from Colorado School of Mines. And that's what led me into metal additive manufacturing. And I don't regret that one bit. Do you remember the first time you saw a 3D printer? It wasn't until after college. I mean, honestly, I mean, Colorado School of Mines is doing a great job uh, with having printers on site and having a very focused additive manufacturing kind of group. But at the time when I was there, uh, that that wasn't a thing uh, just yet. I didn't even know that metal additive manufacturing uh, was even a thing until uh, I found a startup out on the East Coast uh, that just needed metallurgy experience. They, they would teach me the 3D printing as long as I knew some basics on metallurgy and was willing to you know, get my hands dirty. Uh, they'll teach me the 3D printing side of things. Um, so I, we had a plastic printer at school, we had we were toying around with some ceramic uh, printing as well, but no metal additive machines were were um, on campus. So uh, first time seeing a metal additive machine was um, on the job. And what was that? For, was that your first job, the East Coast kind of stint, or was that kind of in I the had, middle of? Yeah, yeah, I had some uh, internships in the investment casting industry, so. Um, Alcoa Helmet, now just Helmet Aerospace. Uh, so that I had internships there during school. And then right after college, um, a quick internship at SpaceX, but also um, in the investment casting type of realm. Uh, but then right after, right after that summer, um, was looking for jobs and found a startup called NanoSteel which switched to four metrics and they are, were a metal additive um, 3d printing startup. And how did you go about your job search kind of back then? Were you like geography focused? Were you, what you were doing focused, small company, big company? Yeah. At that time, geography didn't matter to me at all. I was just really looking for something engaging, something that, you know, was kind of newer on the technology side. Um, I didn't know that I liked small companies at that time, but I guess that was kind of the energy I was looking for. Um, just a fast-paced environment that where I could use my degree. Um, and so my job search was kind of ad hoc using LinkedIn and things like that. But what really got me uh, that first full-time job was through a connection of my professors. So I reached out to them saying like, hey, I'm looking if anyone reaches out to you, um, you know, just let me know um, if you hear of anything on the grapevine. And pretty soon after that, um, my 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 manager at the time um, emailed one of the professors looking for metallurgy students that are looking for a job. So it really pays off to have like have those connections um, through through school, and then even afterwards, because you never know what might pop up. And what was that first job like? What were what were the sorts of things you were doing as a a, a new materials and engineer in the industry? Yeah, so 
NanoSteel, um, we designed a tool steel uh, specifically for additive manufacturing. And so um, tool steels um, notoriously can crack pretty easily if you're going towards like the really high carbon content. Uh, but we had a, a secret sauce of chemistries that we made into metal powder and was meant for metal additive manufacturing. Um, I think the startup, I, I moved out to Providence, Rhode Island, uh, and that startup at the time was maybe max 15 people. We spun out the, the additive manufacturing side of NanoSteel, which had some other business as well, and became for metrics where we were a team of about five to eight. So um, I don't really, I can't really put my job <laughs> into one sentence because with that little people, you're literally doing everything. Um, but I would say my main role is that we got a add up form up 350 printer on site. And um, my main job was to program uh, our experiments. We did a lot of design of experiments for our own material that we were designing, um, maintaining the printer, setting up the printer, and then all of the kind of lab work, uh, metallography and analysis afterwards. I mean, we shared that between the group there, but um, you know, that was kind of the main thing was running a lot of experiments on the material we designed and seeing like what limits were and uh, what the limits were on mechanical properties, chemical properties, everything, just trying to discover what this new material could do, which was pretty cool. And then the idea with the company is you'd sell that material as a, you'd be a material supplier, essentially, exactly. and kind of go out and find applications or people that might be using, uh, that might want to use it. Yeah, exactly. So that would mean either selling to oh, like printer OEMs, that could be selling to um, actual end application users like tool and die manufacturers like our customers kind of had a big big range and how what was kind of the approach there in your mind with with that are you looking for people that are familiar with 3d printing and want to kind of expand their material set or is it more like hey let's look at people using this in conventional manufacturing see if we can kind of find parts or find use cases was it um, heavily weighted one way or the other? I think um, a lot of our most successful um, customers were actually like kind of the tool and die users or manufacturers. Um, a lot of them had supply chain issues where they were having people like mom and pop shops make their tools and dies and, you know, they didn't want to be constrained to one single source. So 3D printing kind of opened up you know, a lot of um, flexibility on that sense. But at the time, the um, additive manufacturing materials just couldn't get the hardness or um, the properties that a lot of like D2, H13, uh, traditionally manufactured tool steels could, could get to. So um, I think the best case was we made a, uh, like a, a bolt rolling die, essentially, that was 3D printed. Uh, we could 3D print it. We could um, surface enhance it and ship it to them with no, uh, you know, no machining, no, no, nothing after that sense. And I think it even outperformed a lot of their old dyes and got some better tool life out of it. So um, those type of use cases was what we searched for, but it always took quite a long time in order to get to that final state. So 
kind of try to diversify a lot of our, our customer profile. Um, but the cool case of that is, is that that customer, McLean Fogg, is actually the one that uh, bought that, um, that technology, our, our powder. And so now for metrics is considered uh, McLean Fogg solutions. And they're a tool and die manufacturer. Awesome. And so what was the next uh, step on, on your career path? Yeah, so next up was still on uh, material development. I moved to HC Start Solutions. Um, they are a uh, refractory metal manufacturer, both in the traditional sense, a um, lot of uh, forge, forging and forming type of uh, ways that they made their refractory metals. But they just started up in, in, like investigating and researching into additive manufacturing for refractory metals. Um, and so they needed someone uh, kind of to run the machine, run the run the experiments, very similar to what I was doing um, at Formetrics and Nanosteel, but just with a new material. So molybdenum, tantalum, tungsten, and niobium type materials um, and running that there in their cold water Michigan site. So and, and uh, what, go, for, go for those who aren't materials engineers listening, like, do you want to just um, explain what what you mean with refractory or what what's different from those than yeah. some other metals that you might work with? Yeah, so refractory metals are uh, some of the highest temperature um, materials out there and probably some of the heaviest as well. So um, they're used in very high-end applications where temperature is very, very high. Uh, so like molybdenum is actually used in like furnace components uh, and um, in like hypersonics as well. And that's just due to their heat resistance that they, that they give off. Um, but because of how, you know, their chemistry and like how heat resistant they are, it's, it is traditionally pretty difficult to manufacture them and get them into the shape that you want. So um, <laughs> on the traditional side, it, it would be pretty, pretty long and a lot of steps in order to get a final, final form of um, what you want. Whereas with 3D printing, hopefully the goal was you get near, near net shape pretty quickly. Uh, but it's not a common material for 3D printing as of yet. Um, I, there's a lot of still research going on uh, with it, but the most popular material right now is Niobium C103. And that's gained a lot of traction in the space uh, type of industry due to that kind of high temp capabilities that it has. And are there any, um, well, we can get, that's more of a materials question, but we can get into mm -hmm. that later. But um, yeah. so in in this role as well, you're also interfacing kind of in that same, same challenging area where you're kind of developing the material, developing the specs, but then also trying to to sell it and find yeah. those use cases. So yeah. how challenging is that in the the additive space? Is I mean, that's a lot of companies are in that, in that stage across um, probably every sector is right trying to find what, what's the right use case right what's the right um, way that we can leverage the technology so what what did you take from your time at um, nano steel for metrics that yeah. kind of was applied to HC start I think a lot of it was just making sure you knew the mechanical properties before selling it right I mean it's always the the first type, the first questions that you get is like, well, what, how repeatable 
is this what the uh, the properties that you're getting and what what is the limit? So before we would even go to market, there's a lot of uh, testing, a lot of um, getting statistical type type of uh, confidence in the in the numbers that you're getting and then creating a full package. So a lot of times you have like material data sheets or mechanical data sheets uh, that have a lot of uh, experiments behind it before you go anything to market. I think you also have to target the type of customers you have and have them be open-minded to not only a new material, which is, I know for some legacy companies could be difficult, but also a new technology. So often like combining those two and to find a certain person willing to have both of those be new to them was definitely difficult. Uh, but those companies that were really future thinking, forward thinking, you know, um, those were the ones we really tried to focus on. Um, and I think a, that's, yeah, go ahead. And it's probably a practical thing as well. Like, right, when you buy a 290 or a SLM yeah. system, right, they're going to give you something that works, it's a titanium or uh, yeah. aluminum silicon mag or something. And, getting someone to put in a new material is not always the, the yeah. easiest thing to convince them of. Yeah. And when you buy that material from EOS, they give you the parameter set. So all right. you really have to focus on is, you know, is the geometry and the support structure. Um, and so once we had like a, a set up customer base, you know, that's what they expected. So we also would provide them a parameter set um, guideline. It's like, this is at least your foundation for your, your bulk parameters or to at least get the properties that you want and you can adjust from here. But we always had to provide, you know, starting settings for your printer um, in order to, to sell the material, the powder. And over the time that you were there and even kind of going back to NanoSU, how did you feel that the industry was evolving? Like the customer engagements that you were talking to was like the learning curve, like were people getting smarter over that time and asking different questions or how was the, how mature do you think the the industry is even maybe even today too? Like, is it, do you still see a lot of those same struggles or kind of challenges? I still see a lot of uh, that, that struggle um, because I think, immediately people wanted to industrialize additive manufacturing. And at that time, like it's still, the printers weren't necessarily hundred percent, uh, you know, reliable. The parameters we got are, were super basic. So we really needed a customer that was knowledgeable in additive manufacturing that could kind of take it over from once we sell them the powder and, and printing, which means like their own R and D team, their own, type of uh, researcher or material science person that can can do more experiments. Um, I think we're still running, I think it's gotten better since when I first started. I think boutique materials in the additive manufacturing type of realm has um, been accepted a lot more. And, um, but at the beginning, everyone was just asking for traditional materials being pushed into additive manufacturing. And that's just inherent to the process that can't be the case every single time. So we always had to answer questions of how does this compare to rot, rot bar or the traditional manufacturing and do like a side-by-side -side comparison. But the reality is it's just totally different process, totally different uh, properties. And you should just 
accept the new, which I think is, has gotten better since, since that time. Nice. And, um, do you want to describe kind of your role in terms of like designing some of these experiments? Like what, what sorts of things are you testing? What is important, um, at a broad level for someone that may, may never have seen some of these technology. Well, most people are at least listening to this are somewhere familiar with the metal laser based systems, but what, what are the things that like the dials that you're turning or the things that are Mm -hmm. important, um, that, that you're working on? Yeah. So when, uh, you're working with a brand new material, you really have to start at the basics of, can I even get a dense part um that can that can print a cube literally just just a a centimeter by centimeter by centimeter cube uh to completion without you know failing and the way you do that is you know the there's four main things that you can change on the laser which is your laser power uh your laser spacing um the laser speed as well as the layer thickness that you're printing at and the amount of, I don't I think it's infinity how many different ways that you can adjust those. But basically you start really broad and then you kind of hone in um, experiment after experiment uh, to try to get those optimal settings. Um, the amount of cubes I've printed and then cut up and like looked under a microscope has been quite a lot in my, in my time period. But once you have that cube, you normally cut it up, um, look at it under a microscope and measure the amount of porosity that you're getting uh, to see how dense your material is. Um, The shape of that porosity can kind of tell you where you need to go. Um, If if you have too low of energy, uh, the pores will look a certain way, pretty jagged. We call that lack of fusion. Um, If you have too high of energy, um, you'll, it'll be gas inclusion. So you have a little bit of uh, vaporization in your material. So, um, using that kind of, um, microscopic knowledge, you can kind of hone in your parameter set from there. Um, working with refractory metals, there's a lot of other things that you need to consider. One is like your oxygen content, uh, especially within your printer, um, as well as like heating your build plate. Um, there's many other kind of levers you can pull but for at least for the beginners and basics like your laser settings is your number one place to start awesome and you want to talk about kind of now where where you are what you're working on yeah so after a few years in that material development space i think um you know, I printed a lot of cubes, I printed a lot of tensile bars in my time, and I got involved in the additive industry a lot more. And I got to see so many cool applications um, and cool designs uh, that additive manufacturing could provide. And I'm like, okay, I have the foundations of how to how printers work, how, like what settings you need to do, but I really want to go towards that, like the design, the application side of things and, and working with once you have that material set up, uh, what use case could these parts be used for? Um, so that kind of led me to my role at Beehive Industries, which was very new at the time, and um, as a role as an applications engineer. So kind of a externally facing, working with our customers to see like what parts they need to print and you know what the best way to print them and get to their design that they needed. And we, at that time, we really 
focused on aerospace and defense, but we had, you know, inquiries from all over, um, all different industries. And so it was really great to see all the different types of use cases that Adidig could provide and just at least starting talking to the customer and seeing what their needs were and seeing how we could help them and see how 3D printing could fit. And so the, you guys have a bunch of machine capabilities and are going out to find or support customer projects. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Beehive, we have um, a service bureau side of our business. So we have a lot of metal machines of different sizes and build volumes. Um, that that was kind of the applications engineering that I worked on. We also have kind of a plastics business as well, where we sell to casting foundries. Um, but really, it was we have a lot of printers, a lot of different materials, um, and you know, quoting projects. Uh, using the capabilities we had in house. Awesome. And are there? Um, I mean, you may you, you can answer this as broadly as you want, but are there industries that have been more forwardly adopting additive um, than others? Yeah, I think just right now we're still seeing quite a lot of you know defense and aerospace. I think we're the top two that we're seeing, and um, quite a big ramp up in the defense industry um, within the past couple of years or so. And I think a lot of that is just due to um, the overall government being interested in additive manufacturing, a lot more funding kind of happening in that space. And um, Beehive acquired Volunteer Aerospace out in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that was their kind of bread and butter. So, um, and had a lot of uh, historical customers kind of in that space. So uh, we've adopted that since. Um, I think for us as Beehive, we've also kind of created our own product as well. Um, and so I started out as an application engineer and now I'm manufacturing programs leader for our propulsion systems group. And that whole, this whole group is, you know, we are designing our own engine products for the defense industry where we actually own the design. We own the printing and we're owning the like testing and um, everything for the defense industry. So really the past couple of years, everything's been aerospace and defense for me. And talk about that transition. I mean, you you go from the R&D, new material, new settings, new, like, hey, we just want to print a cube <laughs> to yeah. now you've got to get something into a shape, repeatable. You have to have all the su supply chain, all that kind of quality in there yeah. like from a material standpoint how does 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 anything that you're doing change in terms of the types of experiments type of benchmarking type of just quality measurements you you go through as you mature kind of from a material r&d stage yeah. to hey this is a finished part yeah i think like right now with the parts that we're making and how critical they all fit together and whatnot what i've learned is you really want the printing to be reliable, like we're like, I'm almost back to basics on materials on like Inconel 718, Inconel 625, like tried and true metal additive uh, materials um, in order to get like the products we want and uh, industrialize them. So I think like for now, for me, I've moved from, I know the foundation, but now my scope is so much broader from not just printing it's from printing to heat treatment 
to post-processing and then machining and inspection. So I think like, I didn't do this on purpose, but I just didn't like each, each step of my career has kind of been a building block to additive manufacturing fitting into like a whole supply chain. And it's only being like a a small step in that whole supply chain in there. That's super exciting. It's been really cool. Yeah. One other thing, like in, like, I'm always curious, like in like your very materials focus, but do you want to talk about like some of the other job roles in this kind of ecosystem that you would see in making like an actual product? Like what are some of the, there's workflow steps and how the material goes from a powder to a finished part, but maybe talk a little bit about other, like the people part of, of that as well. Yeah, so at least for us, for our like internal products group, which is great because we can kind of own a lot of it. We have design engineers that are literally just, um, you know, focused on the overall performance and um, kind of, like efficiency of our products. And they have a lot of like aerospace and defense type of background and maybe not necessarily the additive. And they come up with the design and they work with additive manufacturing specific engineers to make sure that the design that they have can be printed in one of our printers. And like that type of communication is really, really critical for, you know, the success of a lot of our products. Um, Our additive engineers take it, kind of take it over from there. Um, They take those designs, they add support structures to them where needed. Um, you know, they kind of consider everything downstream to make sure that additive doesn't, um, is successful for machining, it's successful for post-processing technologies, things like that. And then once it's printed and heat treated, it moves towards a manufacturing engineer who will handle kind of surface enhancement type of technology. So trying to get the surface roughness down to help our airflow for example, um, and that can be done through multiple ways. Um, and then from there, it goes from machining. Our machine, we have a machining team here at Beehive, where, which is on site, and then total inspection. So each of those steps has like an engineer kind of holding it. Um, we have operators, we have technicians uh, working those machines. And then overall, there's a program manager or a project engineer that's kind of Uh, making sure that everything's on schedule and it's within costs and within budget. And it's also just making sure that people are talking to each other too, which I think can sometimes be the hardest part um, because there's so many different people uh, that touch this part and you want to make sure that everyone uh, has their feedback in there. So just a couple more questions. First, um, uh, we're getting towards the end of 2023. What are you excited about for 2024? 2024. Yeah, I think it's been really cool to see the new types of printer technologies that are out there. I think there's been a lot of growth within this past year and it's only growing. Um, But I think relevant to me and my job is more so like the post-processing type of technologies and how we fit additive into you know, a machine shop and how to connect those two types of things and combining those type of technologies or hybrid technologies as well. Um, I think those are the the biggest things that I'm looking forward to. And I'm always looking for the newest type of surface enhancement technology out there that um, 
that works with additive. So always keeping an eye on that. Awesome. So last question, more of a fun one. Uh, what's a book or uh, that has made a impact on your career or kind of your mindset? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I have, there is a joke here, um, here at the office because one of, um, one of my old managers gave me the, a huge textbook. It's the metals handbook. It's literally about like 10, 15 pounds. It's basically how I reserve my desk. It's how, um, like, you know, I, I claim my space. And whenever someone comes to me for a materials question, I kind of like try to find this in here. And if you can't come back to me. So um, I think that metals handbook, it does is useful in so many ways. Um, it's a huge textbook. No one's going to read through it all, but um, the amount of times has come handy for me to like look at new materials that I don't have much background on has been super helpful. Awesome. Well, Faith, thanks so much for joining the show today. Um, awesome to hear your story and all the work that you're doing. So I uh, look forward to seeing you around the industry. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. This was fun.